You're listening to In Good Company with Hugh Byrne, a podcast about living consciously, making healthy choices, cultivating the power of awareness, and bringing mindfulness to our work and our lives. Our guest today is Mariam Ovisi. Mariam is the founder and CEO of Beloved Yoga and Wellness, which is located in Reston and Great Falls, Virginia. She's been sharing the practice of yoga since 2006. And Mariam is opening a new concept in the yoga world, a large space, 6,500 square feet, to bring a therapeutic application of yoga to the world. I'm really looking forward to hearing about the concept behind that and learning about your journey into yoga. Maybe we could begin just if you could talk a little bit about yourself, just briefly about your life, your journey, your upbringing and what led you in the direction that you've taken in your life, which sounds like a powerfully humane and beneficial one for the world. That is a very big question, so I will do my best. I've always been a seeker and a seeker is one who is curious and will explore many things to answer some very basic questions. So my journey has been to answer some very basic questions in life, such as who am I, what is the purpose, and how do I fulfill my purpose? And that journey has brought me into two big things. One is the arts. One of my main backgrounds is art history. I was a researcher at the Sackler, at the Smithsonian. I had a gallery. and. I've had this love and passion for the creative spirit. I would do annual shows for Iranian American artists. I was Mm. always also pursuing what is motivating our humanity and how do we create understanding for humanity through the visual arts. On that journey as well, there's the questioning of who am I, which is a very spiritual question. And I went through many studies and then I arrived at the doorway of yoga. And often in life, things find you more than you find them. So I found myself in a class supporting a friend who was teaching yoga and I I had no idea what yoga was. And all of a sudden I was like, this is very interesting. This has movement, this has breath, this has inquiry, this has contemplation. This has basically everything that I believe is essential to this human experience. And so I dove into it and that diving in began 20, 25 years ago. I've been married, I have children, I've had different companies. But for the last 20-some years, I've been devoted to sharing yoga. Uh, One, because I feel it's an incredible process. It's a powerful practice. And it's a philosophy to help our modern suffering be alleviated. And so one of the reasons I'm doing this kind of expanded concept is because I'm an activist, a sacred activist. And my tool is yoga. And I choose to serve with it. Mm. And sometimes we need our containers to be a little bit bigger to allow accessibility, which is the number one thing for Mm. me, to the children, to the old, to the young, to those that have no money and to those that do have money. Tools shouldn't be for the privileged. Right. And so now I'm at the doorway of creating something new, not by myself. We have an incredible team of teachers, you know, over 
50 teachers, and we are all committed uh, to this. And I think it's an incredible time to be doing what we're doing. I'm, so. I'm really looking forward to hearing more and talking more about it. I come also from a, from a place, kind of very parallel place, I think, to you of, you know, the big question for me is really as well about alleviation of suffering. There is so much suffering, external suffering, internal suffering. How can we, if we have anything to offer, how can we help in that alleviation? You know, whether it's helping in providing material support or helping with the inner skills that aid us all in working with the conditions of life that are showing up, whether it's here in the Washington area or whether it's in Syria or Iraq or, or anywhere in the world. How can we help that? And I also, too, come out of an activist background, so I think there's a lot that we share, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about uh, the particular expression for you of how you're manifesting this in the world and so many other questions, but maybe we just go to that first of this particular expression. You know, I understand that the kind of the average yoga studio is 700 to 1200 square feet, something in that range. And yours space will be in Reston will be 6,500 square feet. Talk about that. Obviously, I'm assuming it's not just getting more bodies into the place. There's something much more organic going on there. For the last 11 years, we've been functioning out of two separate studios. Both of them have had one large space and a, and a small space. We've had lots of challenges in those spaces. One is we've not been able to do the programming that we've been wanting to. So for example, we have a children's program. And because of the constrictions of space, we have not been able to fully deliver those mm. programs. So we're in school systems, we're mm. in school programs, we're in enrichment programs, we're in before and after school programs. With the seniors and the prenatal and all the different age groups and all the different abilities, because we have limited time as well. So from a very logistic, practical perspective, there is only so many times of the day that there's prime time. And that prime time is usually prime time for many, many people. But when you offer one class, you're only able to nourish that one group. And so in this space, we have four studios. Mm. And the idea is that we can nourish several groups because we have several groups that need to be nourished. For example, there's the adults. Say at one time there'll be an, an adult class. Will it be a senior, an active adult, a beginner kind of exploration? We'll also have a kids class. And then we're also launching a new type of class called Befriending Therapeutics. Mm. So we also will be having Befriending Stress, Befriending Cancer, wow. Befriending Your Lower Back, Befriending Trauma, Befriending Arthritis, Befriending Sleep, mm. Befriending Stress. Many studios do not explore the therapeutic application because they have limitation of space. Mm. So if you think about you want to achieve your numbers, you got real estate, you're going to fill your classes with who's going to pay most of the mm -hmm. rent. So there's a practical aspect where we're going to fill our class, but we're also going to have the space to offer other Lovely. specialized classes at the prime times. And this is because we are in an unprecedented time of history. For the first time, we have reduced life expectancy. And that is one of the most unbelievable things to me, that we have done that for our children. Why is because of the chronic stress. Mm -hmm. 
Why? Because mm. of the influence of the chemicalization of food and of our environment. Mm. Multiple reasons, but to me, we have got to address some of the major issues happening. We've got addictions at a all time high, and we have suicides at all time mm -hmm. high. How can we do that in yoga? We have an amazing toolkit that we can do that with. So we're putting out classes where people can come and we have a befriending anxiety for teens. Why are we bringing this out in group classes? Is because what we understand now in the science is that the resilient healing that happens it happens most phenomenally with social engagement mm -hmm. and in safe environments with others. Mm -hmm. The isolation model is going away when a person is hit. So it's like you work, let's say you work with anxiety yeah. and you work by yourself. There's a point with, if it's just you and the therapist, okay, you're going to meet a wall. But your place of, I got it, I'm good, happens when you can do it in a group. When you can manage yourself in what you cannot control, which is in environments that change. Yeah. And the science behind all of that we're doing is a polyvagal theory. And Dr. Borges, the founder, is a big influence for us. And, yeah. you know, that's another discussion, but that's one of yeah. the reasons. I, I want to focus on a couple of things that you shared. I teach mindfulness and lots of different settings, kind of very similar parallel things to what you're doing. And I, I really resonate with what you say about the social engagement part. We teach, among other things, we teach uh, John Kabat-Zinn's Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, an eight-week program of bringing mindfulness into different, all areas of our life to reduce stress, alleviate stress. And what we find there in that class, and it's, it's almost a magical thing. You know, it sometimes happens after a few weeks, kind of lights, light bulbs go on. You know, it's kind of, oh, I see my life in a different way. I see I have more control than I thought I did. And a big part of that is the engagement, is not just doing it on your own, but talking and working in pairs and in groups and in the whole group. And so that really, what you're sharing really resonates with me. You talked about befriending trauma, befriending stress, befriending anxiety. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what that means, that word befriending. How does, how does that actually operate? How do you work with yoga in this befriending way? It's a lens of how you look at your teachers. So when people come in to work individually, in the therapeutic, they're coming with an imbalance. We have a lot of attachment to our labels and we can mm. hold on to our labels and define ourselves with our labels. Mm. So our perspective is that that label is giving you a guideline, but what it's showing you is that there's a teacher present. The teacher mm. is going to give you the teachings when you choose to interact with the teacher mm. versus push the teacher away. Mm. So often, as you can imagine, it's an intense journey to say, let's befriend cancer. When someone is going through cancer, yet the process of becoming friendly with that which you perceive as your enemy mm -hmm. dissipates the sting and the poison of that suffering that you overcome it right. and achieve things that are unbelievable 
by your shift of an attitude yeah. towards it. Yeah. And I know in mindfulness and yoga, that is part of the eight limb path how we approach it with the meditation. A huge part of that is the attitudes, yeah. the shifting of our attitudes, yeah. of compassion, yeah. of sometimes you do have to just let something put aside, of dealing with the emotion. So the emotional body is a very big part of befriending because becoming friendly yeah. is an important part of peace. Beautifully said. And again, it completely complementary I might use in our approach or tradition, I might use slightly different language, but it's really saying the same thing. I mean, we talk about radical acceptance and the power of acceptance and saying yes to what is. It's exactly that shift of attitude. It's kind of rather than saying, oh my goodness, this is terrible that I have this or this is happening. I say, okay, how can I meet this? We talked with, uh, with somebody else on another interview about kind of meeting life as a challenge rather than as a blessing or a curse. And so what you're sharing, I find really, really powerful. And I'm very interested as well in the way you bring that into the world, you know, into the culture that we're in right now. We're in a, I mean, I know for me, it, it feels like one of the more challenging times in our history, mm -hmm. you know, and living here right in the Washington area, and with all of the changes, particularly over the last year, how that's impacting so, so many people. And what you're offering, and hopefully what I'm offering and other colleagues are offering, are kind of ways of, of helping us meet those challenges in a wise and in a compassionate way. And you also, and many of us have, but you have some very, very interesting kind of ways in, of addressing this, but you're also as a human being, as an entrepreneur, trying to make a living. Because in order to do what you have to do, you've got to be able to have the business skills and acumen to do it well, do it wisely, do it with a good heart. I'd love if you could talk about how, how that gets expressed, kind of holding that, you know, not just kind of offering it, but also having to create a livelihood for yourself and for many other people in the process. That for me is a very is a fascinating exploration. Yes, it is, and it's one that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. And thank you for asking about it. We've been very successful in the business for the last 11 years. And there came this point where I wanted to look at the domain of yoga and I was seeing studios closing. Yeah. I was seeing there is something unsustainable in this model. And I brought on a couple of people to assess the business. One of them is David Henson, who I think yeah. you've interviewed. Yeah. And it kind of shed some light on the fact that this has done really well. Can it be done better? And why would I want it to be done better? And what does better mean? Is it just better means more money? Or does it mean a shift of awareness of how enterprises are run? Mm. And so I've studied the capitalist model in many years and there was a period of time that I feel and I'll speak personally and I also feel a lot of people in my industry do we reject it mm -hmm. and you feel that the path of service is one that you shouldn't depend on you know currency and you kind of want to do everything for free yep. yet you've got to put gas in your car and you have children you have yep. all these layers <laughs> 
and then for me, I have teachers that we need to yeah. pay and I have overhead and all these things. So I decided, let me look at how can we shift the model, one, to make it better for the business to invest in the business and grow programs and potentially help the community more, which is something we've done from day one. And then two, how do I educate about wealth? And can this be a part of the solution of reducing the wealth gap? So with this expansion, we changed from an LLC to a C-Corp. And I did that for two reasons. One is to allow that as we grow, the teacher will get all the staff and the members of it will have equity. Mm. A group of them that have been with me for five years or more are getting shares right off the bat which they can participate or not participate off the bat, just my thank you, Mm. because I did not do this by myself. And ever thinking that I did is probably one of the most egoistic thoughts I could have. So first you say thank you. And then the education of how are we going to grow this in a way that is sustainable for the business. And as you grow it, you will earn equity and bonuses, because the idea is like, you, we want to build 200 of these all around the country, mm-hmm. is that growth will also happen. The second reason is because I can't do this by myself. I don't have the money to do this. I need help investment. And that is one of the most beautiful things, to have the ability to have resource to invest in community that shifts society. And it's not just about the return on investment of my bottom line. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people out there that have the resources, that have the wealth, that want to impact society, but they want to do something in a meaningful way. And this is also part of creating this, that people that want to participate and be part of something, do something meaningful, have the ability to do that. And thus far, we've been raising money, and that's been going really well. And some of the teachers themselves have invested. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, there's a very big discussion to have about capitalism. And, mm-hmm. you know, even with what Whole Foods did with the idea of conscious capitalism, I still think we need a couple more evolutions yeah. to go through because we are a legalistic system, and there's a lot of interesting rules around it. So I've that's my st- my personal study of the business of it and where we are. Do you get support from venture capitalists or are you looking for support in that way? Is there an issue of if people come in in a big way, do they affect the direction? Obviously, you don't want the direction, you want your vision. So they've got to really get behind the vision. I assume that's the approach that you're you're taking. Just kind of shifting a little bit, and I hope we can talk some more about kind of where the, where you're intending and planning to go, your vision in that way. But shift a little bit back towards maybe your own inner journey and maybe talk a little bit about have you had any challenges from which you found yourself in a difficult position, maybe some self-doubt or some sense of, you know, the world has put up barriers to me us moving forward on this and how have you worked with those any particular ones that you might like to talk about that stand mm-hmm. out that kind of working with mm-hmm. choice points difficulties challenges mm-hmm. that come up for yeah. you i believe everyone has experienced trauma 
and mm. I call it trauma. Mm. Uh, trauma is, as we define it, is something that separates you from yourself and your sense mm. of wholeness. Mm. Some of us may need just different types of trauma, and the traumas that I have received have been intense, and yet my greatest teachers. So I'm a private person, and I, I want to be respectful because there, there's always people involved right. in, in the stories of our lives. Yes. The heartache that I have, that I serve from my heartache, and this is something, I don't know if you know the work of Andrew Harvey mm -hmm. and sacred activism, is a beautiful line that he has that if you want to serve, know your heartache. And the mm. way that you know what makes your heart ache is you dive into your life and you do your shadow work and you see clearly the violation. And so for me, there has been a violation of my power, my ability to speak up. I think there's layers of that that yeah. comes up. One is, you know, this cultural conditioning. Yeah. One is being a woman. One yeah. is the ideas and perceptions around what relationships look like. And yeah. there's a lot of privatization and narcissistic behaviors around love. And I am in service of pure, unbounded love. Mm. And I believe this is a huge growth that we need as humanity. And it comes from the fact that I've experienced so much conditional love that I just don't stand for anymore. And mm. I've created a space, and teachers have too, people have too, that you experience that frequency. And that love, that tapping into that love that I don't believe is contained in a person, but moves through a person that belongs to the matrix that we all have access to, yet we haven't been given the tools to access it, depending on the vocabulary that we choose, is one of the most fundamental gifts to give anyone. And that's the gift that I got, to touch and live with this love, hmm. this golden love in me, that then I can come before anything and stand strong, not violate, yet protect with healthy boundaries. As you were talking, I was thinking of the, uh, the line from one of Leonard Cohen's songs where he says, the heart has got to open in a fundamental way. And I think of it as, as you're saying, that is really the challenge of our time and our world right now, for our hearts to open in a fundamental way, in a very, very different way. As you were saying, not in a conditional way, not if I'll open if you open. That's always, that's just a form of transaction and bargaining and bartering, isn't it? The heart has got to open without conditions. You know, in, in, the, in Buddhism, it's, you know, we talk about loving kindness. You know, loving kindness as being unbounded, included, including our, quote, enemies, you know, the most difficult people in our lives, those politicians that we kind mm -hmm. of feel most contracted mm -hmm. when we think about them. We have to include them in our circle of, of love and loving kindness as well. So what you're saying, you know, resonates for me profoundly and I'm kind of wanting to both further that discussion and also bring it very much into the manifestation level of kind mm -hmm. of what you're mm -hmm. you know what you're 
putting down in bricks and mortar and human beings and human relationships. Can you talk a little more about how that gets expressed in your programs, the way you relate? You talked about, you know, including people in the equity so yeah. that it's kind of really is a shared, yeah. shared process, a shared product, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you'd like to share about yeah. that? Yeah, so in the teachings of yoga, it is kind of shared that there, all our sufferings go back to three. That sufferings go back to the fact that we're not heard, that we're not seen, and that we're not touched with value. Every suffering goes back to one of those. Those three come from one major suffering, to be loved, mm. the desire to be loved. And that experience to be seen, to be heard, to be touched with value, and I don't mean just physically touched, it's literally emotionally touched, it's all the ways that we touch. In yoga, it's a process of remembering our wholeness, our integrated self, that we're not broken, that our whole being, it's necessary that all of us participate in life and in our experience. So in the yoga class, for example, at Beloved, we open up with a conversation. There's mm. a topic, it's usually inspired from yogic philosophy. Yoga has always existed, but it got codified by Patanjali through the Yoga Sutras. So we take a lot of those concepts, bring them to life because they're amazing tools. There's a discussion. And in the discussion, we have a conversation. All of our classes, this is pretty unique from our vinyasa, what someone would regard as more fitness orientated, mm -hmm. to even our children's classes. There's a discussion that happens. So to be seen, to be heard so that our eyes can see each other. Yeah. How often do you go to a yoga class, you roll your mat out, you do your class, you can roll that mat out, you can do that for months and never talk to someone. Yeah. And that Absolutely. is unacceptable in our studio. How long do you do that for, just out of interest in terms of, is it a five minute thing, a 15 minute, does five it vary? Five to 15, yeah. depending on the group yeah. and the topic. Yeah. And then the idea that all of us participate, so the eight limb path. So there's the breath, there's the mental focus, mm. there's the movement, mm. and then there's time for silence and contemplation, Beautiful. the soaking in. So how we teach the art of yoga, I feel reflects our perspective of the whole being is present in what we do. This is not a practice yeah. where you can make your list right. while you're doing something. This is right. a practice of honing the art of concentrating in the present moment, because this is where life happens. Yeah. And it's not just an exercise class by any means. It's like bringing, bringing everything in. Just to share, I mean, just my own experience. I teach, I've been teaching for over 15 years, probably 17 years, a, a class on Sunday morning in the D.C. area. And the class now maybe has 40 to 50 people most weeks. And even though it's grown over the years and we're limited, as you were beginning by saying, by space, you know, we, you know that's about it, all it can hold. But what I, we begin with, we begin with a meditation just to help us arrive. And what I do is I, I invite everybody in the group to share, just briefly, because we can't give everybody a minute or two minutes, but just to share something about what their experience is, what they're aware of. This week we spoke of, um, I invited people, I reflected on truth, what's true. 
you know, particularly in the context of the culture right now and where truth itself is very much being called into question and denial is at the forefront of many, many things. I reflected on that and I asked people just to share with what for them, what feels like true for you right now? And it could be, and for some it was just the direct experience of feeling tired or achy, and some it was dealing with some profound challenge in their lives. But within 15, 20 minutes we heard from everyone in that group and the challenge for me in the role that you and other teachers are in is just holding the space for all of that because there's, no, there's nothing that can't be brought in if people want to bring it in and to be able to provide the space for that is an enormously powerful and healing and growing practice because as you shared at the beginning it's not just people doing coming along and closing their eyes for 20 minutes and kind of going inward that's essential but it has to be I feel it has to be in that community it's very important and it's funny this morning I was teaching and it was Satya and Satya is the principle of clarity and authenticity and truthfulness so we were riding the same wave and this idea of how do we know when we're in the presence of truth? First, we have to be clear in right. order to be able to be present with what is. And then there was a conversation around, like, how do you cultivate presence? Is it valuable? In the groups, when it's large people, it's a lot of people, it's very hard. So we do the best that we can. Yeah. But yes, five, ten minutes. And the science behind this, because I feel many of us who've yeah. been teaching a long time, yeah. we come to this place because it's you realize we need to hear each other the science now that we have and i don't know if you've studied the polyvagal theory mm -hmm. is just incredible because it talks about this vagus and the yeah. vagal tone and one of the most important aspects of it is our social engagement so when we can see another when we can hear another voice when we can express ourselves you know this is a whole other topic but like one of the dilemmas with botox is the inability yeah. to express ourselves and because we have mirror neurons yeah. and we get in front of a person who can't express themselves we don't express ourselves and all of a sudden we have an emotion insensitive culture because we just don't even know how to respond anymore because we can't read the person yeah and so the social engagement is that is the most important thing and then there's safety and as a teacher this is a big part of also why we took the shift into C Corp is to create employees so that we can really invest in the training of our mm -hmm. teachers mm -hmm. and most studios function with independent contractors yeah. and you there's a lot of legalities around that so I can't invest in trainings for my contractors I can with employees it's a weird world we live in Hugh mm -hmm. trying to figure out the rules to, yeah. you know to, <laughs> to kind of maximize this so the teachers also go through a training of being trauma-informed of being yeah. sensitive of knowing yeah. when there's a situation that there's a trigger that yeah. may be going off how do we not go into these crazy conversations I mean I'm, we are yoga studio can you imagine what was happening after the elections yeah the level yeah. of conversations that we had to keep yeah trying to stay Absolutely. neutral 
and the teachers themselves trying to stay Absolutely. neutral. I mean, there's so much in that. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I just want to share a couple of things, you know, coming out of what you're saying. There's a study, and you might be familiar with it, where they had um, people smile just by putting a pencil between their teeth, and then they put them in stressful situations, and they found that just having that activation, it's kind of the other side of Botox, if you like, that they were able to deal with stress much more effectively than those, you know, a control group that had a kind of straight face. And that's just exactly what you're saying, that even if you're not feeling joyful, just the activation of those muscles helps us to deal with stress and anxiety and worry. Exactly. And just because just there's such an interesting yeah. science to that, you have these zygomat muscles. And yeah. these muscles, when they get activated, re release a very specific neurotransmitter that basically floods the body yeah. with a very positive vibration that some may call peace or joy, depending on your language. Mm -hmm. So it's so powerful, these how we shape our bodies. And that's why to me yoga is very interesting from a perspective of the forms we take, the expressions that we make, how we use our arms and our legs. This is our nervous system and our yeah. whole body, not in our brain. Create new yeah. imprints. Beautiful. And, and another thing I was um, sharing about my, some of the things teaching that I do, one of the things that I, I'm most excited about and inspired by is I'm involved in a program where we, we do trainings and workshops in the Middle East for, in Jordan currently for humanitarian aid workers who are working with the refugees from the Syrian crisis and the Iraq crisis, crises and and one of the images that we use is the one that you hear when you get on the plane, you know, that before, in the event of an emergency, put on your own mask before assisting others. And it kind of relates to what you're saying, that if we ourselves are not resilient, if we're not able to hold our traumas, our stress, our anxiety, our worries, then we will close up or we'll act them out in the world in unskillful ways. And we see a lot of that happening right now. But if we are able to, then we can hold that space. In the aftermath of the election, I probably led four or five over the next week get-togethers, some at yoga studios, some in the community, of people just sharing what was real for them. And for many, it was grief, it was sadness, it was fear. It was even despair for some. And to be able to hold that space, we need those spaces because we're not alone. And we can't do any of this, as you were saying, we can't do any of this alone. No. We have to do it together. And so I love, you know, the vision that you're bringing to it and how you're expressing it. I, I share so much of your vision and I have a lot, so much respect for the manifesting of it because that's an area I didn't, you know, I don't have a business background and, you know, a family that taught me those things. So I've had to kind of learn those things, often at a, a relatively advanced age, you know, not learning at, you know, 18 or 20, but in one's 40s and 50s and onward from there. And just, I'd love to talk in the few remaining moments that we have, maybe just a, a little bit of a shift to just your own experience and your own practice what are some of your everyday habits that help you 
to kind of cultivate, to deepen, to manifest resilience in your own life so that you can show up as fully as you can be and, and as wholly as you can. What are some of the things you do? I'm very careful with sharing my personal practice because sometimes people yeah. want like, oh, if she does that, I'm yeah. going to do that. So sure. I'm going to just kind of be general. The essence of yoga is based on the sadhana. The word sadhana refers to a personal practice. I have a personal practice and it is not something that I negotiate. It's not something that I really have to say, oh, I got to do my practice. My personal practice is a practice of remembrance of myself and that integration because life changes. So things happen that keep telling me you're not this or you're not enough or this yeah. and that. So yeah. I've got to go through a process often on a daily basis in the morning where I create clearing Yeah. and you clear with your breath, you mm. clear with your mental focus, you clear with your movement, your body wants movement because when you wake up in the morning, it's stiff because your body has a mechanism in it to help you remember to stretch. Mm. Stiffness is the fuzz creation of your fascia plane. Isn't that awesome that our body does that? So you wake up, so you move. Yoga is an eight limb path. All the layers are in there. Mm -hmm. From the senses, to the mind, to the breath, to the movement, to contemplation. And my practice involves all of them. And it is what I feel it's necessary for me. I feel it's one of the most essential things for every human being. I would call it self-care in a modern right. term. Right. In Sanskrit is called sadhana. And it's essential for me, as I said, and one of the things that drive me is that's what I want to inspire everybody to do is have your own practice. That's why I do what I do joyfully. I mean, after all these years, all these hours, you know, I never wake up and say, I hate what I do. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. That ability to maintain that joy, I've thought about so often. Wow, how have I maintained this joy for what I do? Mm. And I look at what has been consistent, even in the light of great suffering, is my practice, showing up for myself. Thank you. It's been a delight to meet you, to have this conversation with you. And thank you so much for coming and being with us today. Mariam Uvisi, the founder and CEO of Beloved Yoga and Wellness. Thank, thank you. you so much, Hugh, for inviting me.